Welcome to the Boss Ladies Podcast. I'm Olivia Wary, and as a young female working in the industry of technology, I'm constantly struggling to find my voice and overcome challenges thrown my way. I've decided to have conversations with boss ladies in every industry to hear how they do it. Boss Ladies is intended to inspire women and men of all ages to overcome their fears, explore moonshot thinking, speak up for who they are and what they believe in, and move up in their respective industries. Every day we are faced with challenges, so it is my intention to empower you to get the advice you need by interviewing top executives who have been through it all. On today's episode of Boss Ladies, please welcome Nicole Centeno. Nicole is the founder and CEO of Splendid Spoon, a holistic wellness brand that is rethinking the way people eat and relate to food through ready-to-eat plant-based meals. Prior to creating Splendid Spoon, Nicole studied diet therapies as treatment for illness, trained at the French Culinary Institute, and she managed a New York City catering business. She has taught cooking and nutrition courses at Columbia University and is the author of Soup Cleanse Cookbook, published by Rodale, August 2016. So, Nicole, can you start by telling us a little bit about why you started Splendid Spoon and sort of how you got to where you are today? Yeah, I I am someone who has always been really fascinated by food. I was the kid, you know, growing vegetables in the backyard with my mom and poking my head into the kitchen and trying to taste things and figure out how things are made. So food has always been one of those really powerful forces in my life. And when I went to college, I actually decided to study biology and understand a little bit more of how it all works in your body. I ended up doing research in a biochemistry lab and looking at diet therapies as treatment for epilepsy. So really kind of like galvanized for me just how powerful food can be on the body and and on your health and, and actually even transforming a disease pattern. Super, super interesting work. I also struggled with an eating disorder at that time. So from an emotional level, I, I experienced how food can really take over your thoughts and change your body in, you know, really scary way also. After that, I ended up going to New York City and got a job in media. I had decided not to continue with academia in the science field, but worked uh, there, worked at Condé Nast at Wired and The New Yorker, kind of like trying to lean into the the geekier titles, I guess, (laughs) but felt like I was kind of disconnected from what I really cared about and ended up going to culinary school, which at that time, you know, I had really done a lot of work on my disordered habits and culinary school for me was like this almost like defining moment where it was like, I've really done it. Like I can have this relationship with food now where I'm not making myself sick or punishing myself. And it was, just, it was really, really powerful for me. And it's also just one of the first times where I felt like I was super, super passionate about something to the point where even though it was very tiring to work full time during the day and then go to culinary school at night. I loved it. And there was nothing that was going to keep me from doing it. So after culinary school, I was like, this is the thing. I don't know exactly how it's (laughs) going to happen, but I have to be in contact with food. Like this is, this is it for me. And so I started catering businesses. I had a pop-up on the weekend. I was trying to teach my friends cooking lessons. I taught kids cooking classes. I just did like whatever I could in my free time to be in contact with food and, and kind of like try to start these different businesses. But nothing really, really like stuck or took off. And when I got pregnant with my first son, I was still working full time and kind of like chugging away trying to, I think as many people do in their 
you know, mid to late 20s, like trying to figure out like, what is it that I'm going to do with my life? And when I got pregnant with Grover, I found myself really putting a magnifying glass on my food again. And because I had gone to culinary school and really rediscovered food as pleasure, I was eating a lot of like croissants in the morning and I was cooking everything in duck fat and everything tasted glorious. It was a lot of fun. (laughs) Um, But when I, you know, when you're pregnant, it's like, how do you take better care of yourself? What is it that you need to be eating in order to take care of a growing baby? And it's like, you know, not definitely not croissants and duck fat all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Really? I was was like, ah, crap. Um, I need to eat like a carrot or maybe some apples every once in a while. And in doing the research of how to take better care of myself, it also kind of triggered some old memories of being obsessed with food and spending so much of my thought time on like what to eat. And I was like, that is just I'm not doing that again. That is not a good use of my decision making. (laughs) I know that I just need to eat a little bit better. I know that I just need to eat more vegetables. Like, how am I going to do it? And so I made myself these plant-based soups and put them in the freezer. And every day I would take one out and heat it up and close my laptop and have a really hearty like vegetable soup. And it really changed my relationship with food. It really gave me the balance that I needed. It really helped me to feel better, feel more energized, and feel really confident, have the peace of mind that I was taking care of myself the way that I needed to without like making sure everything was absolutely picture perfect. And so Splendid Spoon came from this idea that like, yeah, you can do one or two simple things for yourself during the day, and it really can add up to a big impact on your health. And that was, that was it from there. It was just like obsession. Yeah. I (laughs) love that. (laughs) I really love that you started this really, I mean, because you're so passionate about food. I think that's awesome. So what has it been like starting a business and now owning a business as a woman? And have you faced any adversity because of it? I mean, today's startup world can be pretty crazy. You know, I think one of the ways that you, for me, at least that I kind of measure adversity because it's hard when you're out there like it's no one's going to say that it's not going to be hard it's oh it's going to be hard no matter what right starting a business but what starts to be a little bit insidious I guess is kind of a strong word but I think it's true is when you wonder whether or not things are happening because it's hard or because you're a woman and that definitely didn't that didn't really occur to me until I started raising money from more of like in the institutional community. And I've never specifically experienced any kind of like sexism. I've never had anybody say anything outright that I would say like that is that is definitely sexist. But the facts are that I think it's like 7% of venture dollars go to female run businesses now. Wow. And it's really hard because raising money is and ask you ask any founder, raising capital is one of the hardest things that you will do because you just have to deal with hearing no's all the time. And if you're dealing with hearing no's all the time and you're kind of wondering whether or not some of it has to do with what you wore or how you spoke or how a room full of men might have taken your very personal story, whether they got it because they're men and they've never been pregnant and they never will be. (laughs) Um, Like that, I think, is part of the issue. 
I think that's like the biggest part of the issue for me is just it's just like the the numbers are stacked against you in terms of the the number of LPs, the number of managing directors who are women, and then the businesses that are run by women that are getting funded. Yeah. And how do you like try to overcome that? I mean, that's that's really hard. You I, for me, it's just, it's the same answer like anything else. It's like you, I work on myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I have to have a really strong, like I have to have my head screwed on straight. Yeah. That's like the main thing. And then the other thing for me has been having a really supportive group of peers, men and women who are entrepreneurs, who are at various stages of growing their business and having them all on my speed dial and, and knowing that if something is going wrong or I'm unsure of something with my with running my business or working with an investor, I can contact any one of them. And they'll be, you know, they'll be my cheerleader if I need them to be. They'll give me honest advice or they'll just commiserate with me because sometimes that's what you need. Totally. So since launching your business and writing a cookbook, you've been on a ton of podcasts and had a lot of really great publicity. So what's it been like sort of growing your personal brand and becoming a public figure in sort of a short period of time? You know, I don't really feel like I'm that. I mean, I just see it as my job. It's like I have this, this business is a mission driven business and it's my mission. First and foremost, it's now our mission as a team and as a brand and our community of customers share that mission. But ultimately, it's I see it as just kind of part of my job where if anybody is unsure of the beat of the drum that is supposed to be driving our motivation or our ambition, it's like I'm the person that sets that, that rhythm. So I think it's fun. And I mean, I think... I love talking to people and hearing their stories and how food is such an equalizer and hearing about how food affects them and how it's helped them or hurt them. And so I just see every conversation that I have, whether it's with a customer or my team or with press as like an opportunity to understand people and their relationship with food a little bit more. I mean, that's really interesting to think about is like, of course, every human on this earth has some sort of interaction every day with food. Um, So it definitely is interesting that you've really put a lot of time and thought into our relationship with food and that that's fueled a lot of your decisions in making your business. I think that's incredible. So it seems like in this day and age with social media and smartphones, the feeling of imposter syndrome is at an all-time high. Um, yes. <laughs> have you felt it? And if so, like, can you describe some strategies you use to overcome it? Yeah, totally. You know, I'm even going through that now as like we, I have a really fantastic team and one of our newest hires, or I guess newest sort of positions is one of a COO, who she she actually was an angel investor and a friend of um, one of the founding members of the team. So she's really family in a lot of ways in that sense already. And then she was consulting with us and did an amazing job. And so we brought her full time onto the team. And then she was doing an amazing job there. And so um, I promoted her to be our COO, which meant that I really had to step back from like, all the things that I thought I was supposed to be doing, which was, you know, managing the day to day and which frankly I wasn't great at. And there's definitely some imposter syndrome of like, Oh my God, well, if I'm not doing that, then what am I doing? And is that even important enough? Like is vision and raising capital and like setting culture, like are those real jobs? And I, that's, 
for me, that's how I experience imposter syndrome. I have this voice in my head that's like, that's not a real job. <laughs> that's not important enough. Like you need to do all this other stuff that you've already been doing. And like, if you let go of that, then you're useless. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it's very real. Yeah. And I think in terms of working with it, again, it's kind of like the same, um, I would say, strategies, as I mentioned earlier with, you know, working through, you know, being a minority in terms of like being a woman raising capital. And it's, I work on myself, you have to have your head screwed on straight. <laughs> so like, I put a lot of Every day I meditate, every day I journal, I have a yoga practice. I, I put a lot of time on my calendar to make sure my body and mind are sound. Even more if I'm in a stressful situation or if something like this comes up where I'm that negative voice is really loud. It's like, that means I'm something's wrong. Like that, that voice is so unproductive. That voice will derail any logical plan it will derail all reasoning. It will inhibit me from having good relationships with my team. And then that will trickle into my family. And I can't, I just can't have it. Like I have too much going on. So I put so much time into, into taking care of myself and then having those relationships where you can very honestly say like, I am feeling so down on myself right now. And I am feeling like, is this even a real job? Yeah. <laughs> you know, just like being able to say that out loud, a lot of times diffuses the energy of that negative voice. And then it's out there, like as if it's an object on a table for your friend who loves you to say like whatever she needs to say or to just listen or for you to then see it as an object and be like, oh, okay, right. Like that's just a thing. That's just a narrative that I've made up. Now, what do I want to do with it? so that you can get that perspective and and figure out strategies to actually to deal with it. Those are going to be different depending on what the what the voice is saying. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I mean, I definitely always go outward before looking in and I think mm. that that's a very healthy approach to really focus on yourself and and take time to do things like yoga and journaling and meditation and I probably yeah. should do that more. <laughs> Well, there's a lot of science in it too of, of journaling. And, you know, one of the things that I do now is it's called morning pages. So if you Google it, it's like, it is actually a whole kind of process that mostly creative people go through. But I, I definitely identify with that kind of like form of expression and how I build the business. I, I experience it as a very creative process. So every morning, the idea is that you write three full pages. It does not matter what you write. You don't ever even have to read it again. Nor it's like not the point. The point is just to get out on paper that voice. And and when you do that, you're giving yourself permission to at least acknowledge the fears and the anxieties. And then you can deal with them. It's only when they're internalized and hidden that they become insidious. Totally. So what advice would you give someone who is struggling with food-related decisions, maybe even to an unhealthy degree, like an eating disorder? Because I've definitely been there and, and you know, yeah. I think we all sort of have to some degree. Yeah. I mean, I think first and foremost, it's so hard and it, it really does. It takes a lot of courage, but it's there. It's in you. You can do it 
to reach out and know that you really are not alone. You know, whether it's, you know, like you can reach out to me <laughs> if you want to, like anyone, like just to reach out to someone. And, and again, similar to like the journaling or the morning pages, just, just get it out. Like what the, the fear or the worry or including that's what we're designed to do as human beings. We're designed to socialize, to connect with each other, to get better by working together. And as soon as you reach out to someone, I remember it. I mean, like I held on to that eating disorder and was so protective of it and had such a narrative of what would of like the boogeyman that would come out of the closet when someone found out. And as soon as I went to a therapist, that was the person for me, I was like too mortified to tell anybody that I knew. So I went to a therapist, I found a therapist and I was like, I, can't, I just can't live like this anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I can't have my life run by eating lots of food and then purging it. It's just like, I can't function. And as soon as I did that, it just released a lot of the charge. And actually it wasn't until a lot later, like in the last year, really, that I became a lot more public with it through Splendid Spoon and through the story that we tell. And it was a huge relief to me, which I could never have imagined. I couldn't have imagined it two or three years ago when it was still like largely a secret to most people. And I definitely couldn't have imagined it before I went to that therapist. I thought, you know, like, I don't know, the human mind has a really specific way of (laughs) (laughs) imagining really horrible outcomes that are just completely figments of our imagination and and will not happen. And it's strong, our mind, and and we'll just, we'll keep believing it. So reaching out, it's like, that's your, that's the grounding mechanism there. Yeah. You know, as a product manager, we're always thinking of like, what's the problem you're trying to solve with your product? And I, I think it's so incredible that you had a personal problem and then you built a solution and a business out of it that helps Mm. not just you, but so many people. So I think that's really cool. And it's a great story behind the business for sure. So how do you balance your career and being a mom? And what what advice do you have for other moms out there sort of struggling with that balance? Mm. I really think so much. We were writing about this on Splendid Spoon. Um, There was a blog post that went up about this today, actually about how busy really can be healthy. (laughs) that there's like two kinds of busy there's frenetic like panicked busy yeah and then there's structured in the flow busy where you are doing a lot but everything is kind of compartmentalized and you have your boundaries that protect your self-care time and when you do that then you are able to recharge and you're able to move 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 and then take a step back and move 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 again and I definitely follow that kind of lifestyle and it's not for everyone, for sure. But the, this world is moving so fast. It's hard not to, even if you don't live that way, not to feel the pressure of it. And so a lot of what I do is I create basically like, <laughs> I call it like a food uniform or like a work week uniform where I follow pretty much the same rhythms every week. And I'm a co-parent, I'm divorced. And so I have two kids who I share custody with my ex with. And so we have some days the kids are with me and some days they're with him. But every day I bring one son to school and he brings the other. 
And the things that I really ground myself in, the sort of uniform that keeps me feeling like I'm following a rhythm and not like, you know, falling off the rails <laughs> is there's my meditation in the morning. There's my journaling now. That's another thing that I do. And then there's my food. So I believe really strongly that what you are, what you eat, and there's nothing worse than feeling busy and also not taking care of your body. And so I have a plant-based breakfast every morning. It's usually a splendid spoon smoothie with like some nuts or some fruit thrown on top as like kind of a smoothie bowl. And I don't ever have to think about it because we make everything ready to eat. And then I, 95% of the time during the week, I also have a soup for my lunch and it's the same. It's like, I don't want to waste my decisions. I don't want decision fatigue because of trying to figure out which salad to order from Sweetgreen. <laughs> so I, that's what I do. It's like I have the same breakfast. It's different flavors that I usually have, but I'll have a smoothie for breakfast and my soup for lunch. And then at the end of the day, I eat with my kids and I chill with them and, and go to bed at a reasonable hour. So it's like, for me, I think having a couple really you know, rooted in self-care rituals that you do every single day to kind of like, whether it's book, uh, you know, bookends, the beginning and the end, or it's something right in the middle that you can like lean on. Because mm -hmm. I think that's what people need is like structure, literally structural supports to lean on and like catch your breath and rejuvenate so that you can get back into the, like, you know, go back out onto the waves. Yeah, totally. Yeah, this is this is all super interesting for me personally. So I'm I'm loving this conversation, even though I am not a mom and can't relate to that. But just the relationships with food and, and the decisions. I mean, that's something that sometimes for me personally is like crippling. So. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's that way for a lot of people. I think for women especially, and we're uh, Splendid Spoon is 96% female. And I, I think that women especially put a lot of pressure on themselves to do things really well. And certainly appearance, I think, is while that's equalizing a little bit, I do still think that women are harder on themselves for appearances than men, for sure. And most women will say that they're looking to lose weight versus men, like some of them are, but it's just harder, I think, for women. And if you can create a food ritual that's also a grounding ritual, it's like, oh my God, why wouldn't you do it? Totally. So to jump topics a little bit, you know, and, and focus a little bit on the business, where do you see Splendid Spoon in, in five years? And in what ways are you looking to expand the business? Is it the menu or, you know, I'm curious to hear. Yeah. So we're always thinking about ways to make the experience more versatile, work for more people. So that means definitely more meal formats, definitely additional access points. So I do believe in an omni-channel approach or a multi-channel approach for distributing the product. So I'd love to one day be in a Target or talk to someone in the airline business or in travel. So anywhere people are busy, want to be healthier, <laughs> that's where I want Splendid Spoon to be. I really hope that people will look to the brand as a way to improve themselves and improve how they eat. And I think of the brand more as personal development than just food. I think our product is absolutely food and clean meals that are really satisfying and wholesome. And when you do that for yourself, you become a better person. 
become more capable, you're able to achieve more, and you're able to help other human beings. So that mission element and the access element of, of, of getting great food into the hands of more people is really important to me. So if you hadn't gone down the path of creating Splendid Spoon, where do you think you'd be right now? Like, was there another startup you were interested in pursuing? Oh, man, that's such an interesting question. What would I be doing? I might have ended up in the restaurant space. I think that if I hadn't, it's hard to say though, because I just was so obsessed with starting Splendid Spoon. So it's like, <laughs> what, could I, what could I have been more obsessed by or like a little bit less, but like enough obsessed by? And I think, you know, at one point with my ex, I had really wanted to just drive cross country. And I was like, oh my God, like I can, I just went to culinary school. Like I know how to cook in restaurant kitchens. Like I can literally move anywhere. <laughs> and I do still kind of have a dream of driving cross country and spending three, six, 12 months in different towns across the US working in kitchens, like working at different diners or working in a school kitchen. Or I just think food is such an, again, like it's such an equalizer and it's such an entry point into the different cultures that we have. And since I haven't been like, I haven't been to every state in the US, I think it would be really fascinating to do that. Well, maybe there's a way the two worlds can combine themselves in that as you're expanding the business, maybe you can travel as well and, and meet with the targets. Yeah, you know? I know. <laughs> I think you're right. I think I think we're starting something yeah, here. Yeah, I, I think so too. I like this. <laughs> so my last question for you has to do with accomplishments because women definitely don't brag about themselves enough. So I'd love to hear what you feel is like one of your greatest accomplishments. Mm. Hmm. One of my greatest accomplishments. I mean, I think being a mom and being an entrepreneur, like this kind of life that I've created, I'm really proud of. I'm really proud that I can have somehow managed to do both. And that I hope other people who are listening or who read about Splendid Spoon see that like, there's no one way to do it. And there's no perfect balance. But it is possible. If you're a woman, and you want to have a family, and you're really fucking driven, you can have both. You just will have to define it for yourself. But that's kind of an amazing freedom to have. That is the best possible note we could end this on. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for your time. You're so welcome. Check back soon for another episode of Boss Ladies. Boss Ladies.